For the past few days, we have been walking as a church through the ancient summary of Scripture known as the Apostles' Creed. Let's, um, let's say it once more together. You can either recite from the screen or from the printout in our notes. If you printed out the notes, you can see them there all together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. All God's people said, Amen. Let's continue. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. Now that last bit is our subject for today, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I was traveling, do you, do you remember traveling? Um, I, I was traveling going through Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on my way to Athens, Greece. Uh, I had a few hours to kill, so I was just wheeling around the Philly airport with my old, um, my old short trip case. I had this case that I would use when I was only going to be teaching for a few days. It had, uh, it had personal items and all of my books and notes for teaching in it. And I rounded a corner, and my old short trip case just died. The, the wheels stuck. I thought there was, you know, something gunk in the wheel or something. So I, I lugged the whole thing over to this empty area and I got to work on it. Nope, they were clean, just totally frozen. A very kind airport janitor became interested in the puzzle and, uh, and he wanted to help. So he came over, brought his tools over, and we tried everything. Took the case apart, worked on the wheels. Those wheels, they were as, they were as stubborn as a toddler who's tired of walking. They were totally stuck. And eventually we agreed that case was toast. Well, that meant I had to go buy a new case. So I purchased this one from a shop, and, uh, and I got this case from a shop there in the Philadelphia airport. I got to call my sweetheart and tell her that uh, it was at Valentine's, I remember. I got to tell her this is what she got for Valentine's Day. And, uh, and it was great. I put all my stuff in it. And, uh, oh, thankfully, my janitor friend, my new friend, had a place to dispose of the old case. Word to the wise. It is never a good idea to take an old briefcase or suitcase and put it in a trash can at an airport. So, so anyway, he, got, he disposed of that. I caught my flight, and we took off. Now, that story pictures what our ancestors had in mind when they wrote, we believe in the resurrection of the body. When Christians talk about the resurrection, this, this is what they have in mind. It's not about these old bodies over which we fret and fuss. No, no, no. The, the whole point of the resurrection, what we celebrate is the new housing, the promise of this new place we have to live. Let me show you what the Bible has to say about our new housing, the resurrection of the body. Um, a few days ago, we were studying John 14. Go there if you would, please. Open your Bible to John 14. Let's go back to that upper room discourse. Jesus' great speech and prayers that he gave that last night before his crucifixion. Go to John 14. John's the fourth book of your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. Chapter 14, let's read verses 1 through 3. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. The resurrection, this new housing life that we are promised, it is based on Jesus' life. It's promised by and based on Jesus' life. Everything we believe is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Consider the logic here. He knew it and he planned it all. Otherwise, this promise makes no sense. And it is a promise. Jesus had just told them that he was going to die. That was the, that was the whole purpose behind this trip to Jerusalem. He was going to die. But now he says he'll prepare a place for his followers in heaven and return to take them to live with them there. That only works if Jesus somehow doesn't plan to stay dead. Think. It, in the immortal words of Squince Palladoris from The Sandlot, he's been planning it for years, right? The resurrection in which we believe has this foundation. Jesus first must conquer death in order for our resurrection to occur. And that's why the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus are so very important and, and why they're so troubling for those people who want to reject him. It's also why for centuries, Christians on Resurrection Sunday have said these words to each other, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Er ist aufstanden. He is risen, everyone, he is risen indeed. Our resurrection is based on Jesus' resurrection, which he obviously planned. And in him, we have resurrection life. Look here, Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... So we too may walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, if we have been. And by the way, that if there is a first class condition in the Greek. It's just a fancy way of, of speaking in Greek that, that works like sense. It's something that is for certain true. Okay, It's an if, but they had four different conditions of if. This is first class. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The resurrection is all about being in Jesus. That is the big idea. By the way, that's also the headline atop the right side of our notes. If Jesus is somewhere, then those whom God placed in him are in that place as well. Now, now baptized here is not talking about water. It's discussing what that water baptism represents. It represents inclusion into Jesus' life and death and resurrection. When someone believes in Jesus, they are changed forever. They are identified by God the Father as being in Jesus. Thus, they are accounted in his death as dead to their sins, and they are alive in his resurrection. Randall Satchel, um, one of our elders, reminded me of a great statement about this. This is from, from one of my all-time favorite books. Uh, it's called Romans Verse by Verse. Uh, William R. Newell wrote this some time ago. He said, Christ is our standing. Christ himself. And Christ, being the righteousness of God, we being thus utterly and vitally in Christ before God, have no other place but in Him. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's a quote from Romans chapter 3. He goes on, not to the cherubim, not to the seraphim, not to the elect angels has been given such a place as this. They, they may be sinless, they are. They may be holy, they are. 
They may be glorious, they are, but they are not the righteousness of God, for they are not in Christ. They were never cut off as we have been by a death that ended completely their former history and standing and then placed in Christ, close quote. It's beautiful. Kids, here's what Dr. Newell is saying. Um, I want you to look at what I have here. I I brought a bag of goodies. And I've got, uh, I've got a bunch of my, my favorite little things. Uh, I've got, oh, my, my spinnyback baseball. That's <laughs> awesome. Got my spinnyback baseball. I've got, oh, Mr. Raccoon. Mr. Raccoon, who always advises every child to wash your hands like a raccoon. See, they, they, they wash their hands a lot. So, Mr. Raccoon, I, brought, I grabbed him. What else did I get? Oh, one of the vandal. The vandal from our little castle set. You can zoom in on that one. That's pretty good. And all right, it's so scary. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite Hot Wheels cars. This one's older than most of you. It's fantastic. And ha, my sword from Legoland. We'll use the uh, the wolf side or the lion side. The lion side. Okay. Now you see all that cool stuff. It was all in my bag. My bag's now empty. Now, what if I take all that stuff? All right. And I decide to put it inside my fancy new case. You know, I put it inside this new housing right here. Okay, so I put, I put all this stuff. I tell you what, let's put everything except the vandal. We'll leave the vandal out. The vandal doesn't get to go in the case. Her, Mr. Vandal. All right, everybody else goes in the case. This is my new travel case, and they're going to travel. All right, and we'll zip it up. Okay, we'll get the... Now, if I take the case over here... Where's all my stuff? Where, kids? Where, where is my Hot Wheels car and Mr. Raccoon and the, and the Legoland sword and the baseball? Yeah, it's here. Why? Because it's in the case, right? What, what, if I, what if I haul it all the way up here and I go way back here? Then what happens, huh? If I go way back here, where is all the stuff, boys and girls? Where is it? It's up here. It's in the case. Do you see the point? When scripture says that you and I are in Christ, oh my goodness, that means wherever Jesus goes, that is where we are with him. That is what God is telling us about the resurrection life. It's about being in Jesus. The the poor vandal is not with the other treasures because he's not in the case. Which, of course, leads to the question that I know you're asking in your, uh, your vandal imitation. So... How does a person get in the case? How do you get accounted in Christ? Thank you for asking, Mr. Vandal. It's a great question. The answer is simple, but it's really profound. It's by faith. The resurrection is based on faith. Look here, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. The Apostle Paul says for all Christians, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is speaking for Christians showing that we are in Christ because of faith, because we trust God the Son. Now, in in this verse, Paul only mentions the crucifixion, but the letter of Galatians goes on to show the connected resurrection is part of the package. We have freedom from sin because we are counted in Jesus' resur- resurrection, I mean his crucifixion. We have freedom of resurrected life because we are counted in Jesus' resurrection. And the only admissions fee is belief. The disciples were, 
they were really struggling to grasp all this on that last night in the upper room. You're still in John 14, right? Okay, look at verses 4 through 6. John 14, pick up where we left off. Verse 4. You know the way to where I'm going, Jesus said. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Poor Thomas. You know, you know they actually did know where Jesus was going. He had just told them. But they were scared. They could, they could feel the societal pressure all around them. Everything they knew seemed to be falling apart. L looking to the resurrection seemed impossible in the face of impending death. So Thomas focused on the details. What is the path to safety? You see how he asks? He asks about the way. Jesus brilliantly draws Thomas back to what matters. Not the way, but the person who is the way. If you're in me, Jesus says, you will go where you need to go. You don't need to know the details of the journey. You just, need, you just need to make sure you're in the right travel case. My books and things were not left in some dumpster back in Philadelphia. They were in the new case. They safely came with me to Athens. Thomas worries over how he's going to get to Athens. He misses the whole point of what Jesus had said, likely because Thomas was worried about all the pressure that was building in Jerusalem around them. Thank goodness we're not like Thomas, right? Whenever a plague or an election or a war upends our world, when we feel the pressure mounting, we never miss the point. We never take our eyes off Jesus and get consumed with finding our own way out of the mess. What's that? Oh, maybe we do. In that case, please listen to Jesus. The resurrection life is based on faith in Him. Trust Him alone and you will inevitably live the resurrection life. He is the way. By the way, there is an important history lesson that comes from this verse. This is, this is fascinating. Um, understanding John 14, 6, and they understood it well, Christians in the early 2nd century started calling themselves members of the way. That was what they called themselves. It was really clever, uh, especially during times of, of persecution that was on and off for about 100 years there. Um, it was a really neat way to refer to Jesus. After all, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Uh, the way appears in letters we have from that era and art and graffiti. Um, but, but here's the sad part of the lesson. And this is really sad, but it's important. Within a couple of hundred years, the way had changed. It had become a legalistic means of referring to a true Christian. Uh, it's, it's so sad. The, the way became no longer about trusting Jesus, the one who is the way. It had become the very thing Jesus was speaking against it was a formula of behavior for a person to find his own way to the resurrection life. I don't mean to be depressing, but it is worth learning from those who went before us. You and I must continually fight to remember this conversation in the upper room, that the resurrection is found by faith alone in Jesus alone. Amen? What do we mean when we say the resurrection of the body? We believe Scripture which tells us that the resurrection life is promised by and based on Jesus' resurrection. It is about being in Jesus, and it is dependent on faith. One last thing the Bible says about it. The resurrection is a bodily perfection that comes to us from Jesus. L listen as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to walk us through uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 47 to 57. 
The first man was from earth. Now, Paul's talking about Adam there. Uh, Adam, the first man, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That, he's referring to Jesus there. It's a really cool contrast he's drawing between Adam and Jesus. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery, he says. By the way, um, the word he uses there is a Greek word, mysterion. It, it doesn't... It doesn't mean mystery like those shows that your family has been binging over and over during the quarantine time. Um, it's not something that you've got to figure out. Mysterion meant something that was, was clear. It was there. It was on stage. But it wasn't fully appreciated or, or fully understood, even though it was right there. It, it, that's what it means. So, listen, I'm telling you a mysterion, a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. That's a Greek euphemism for die. They would say, fall asleep. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and the mortal body is clothed with immortality, then this saying that is written will take place from Isaiah 25. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, from Hosea 13, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, you know, you could mine that passage for a lifetime. For now, I, let's just notice these highlights, okay? Notice these highlights of what we just read. We will bear Jesus' image just as we have borne Adam's. We will have incorruptible, perfect bodies in the age that is to come. Those bodies will be immortal. There will be no sin. There will be no death. We will be unable to do wrong, so law has no sting for us then. And all this comes through Jesus' victory. Can I get a hallelujah? I know, I know it's, it feels strange and isolated there at home, but let's do it anyway. I want you to say hallelujah on the count of three. Count of three, kids. That was not three. Okay, let's, let's try again. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah. Very good. All right. <clears throat> that took something out of my throat. It's time for a sip of tea. This, um, this is my family's favorite teapot. It's our Mrs. T. We've had it for a long, 26 years we've had this. It makes a great cup of tea. Today I am enjoying a wedding breakfast tea uh, from Fortnum & Mason in London. I happen to think that it is the finest tea in the world. Do I have a picture of it? Yes, I do. Fortnum & Mason wedding breakfast tea. And here's what's fascinating. Uh, this teapot, uh, it didn't cost us anything. Uh, my parents paid for it. It was paid for by somebody else. Oh, Mm. Just give me a moment. Mm -hmm. I, I had originally planned this with you guys here, and I thought I would share tea with those who really wanted it, but you'll have to make your own at home, except at my home. I have your teapot. Um, now, here's what's so amazing about this Mrs. Tea. This thing has been used to make a pot of tea at least once a day, nearly every day for 26 years, and it's still going strong. 
I know that's not eternal, but in a disposable age, that's pretty cool. And with that in mind, I think we can understand a little of why the Apostles' Creed ends the way it does. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. In a disposable world, it is awesome and inspiring to note that we enjoy life everlasting. We believe in life everlasting. Revelation 21 describes this. Revelation 21, the, near the end of John's great vision that Jesus gave him, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people's. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. We can't fully grasp this any more than a caterpillar understands what it means to fly. But we feel the longing, right? We feel the longing that we are made to fly. So we can enjoy a few of the tidbits that God graciously reveals to us here. You'll see these spelled out in our notes. First, in the life everlasting, all is physically changed. There is a new heaven. The invisible realm of heaven is remade. There is a new earth. No sea. Now, that can mean many, many things in Revelation, but at the least, it means everything is different. There are some Old Testament uh, prophetic passages that also address this, and they make it clear that what we call the physical laws of the universe will be completely altered. I have a friend who is a Christian, a fellow believer in Christ, and he's also a physicist, and he gets so excited about this. Look what he wrote me. He wrote me and said, Wayne, can you imagine how much fun we will have figuring out the new laws of the universe? And he said, I get to do so with Isaac Newton and all the other Christians of all times who enjoy working things out in the physical world. Close quote. Speaking of Sir Isaac Newton... You know, modern scientists tend to scoff uh, that Newton felt, did you know this? He felt his most important work was his, his commentary he did on Daniel and, uh, and Revelation, on the last six chapters of Daniel and on Revelation. But I think it makes perfect sense that Newton would value that most highly. If you are fascinated by physics, what could be more intriguing than this new eternal state where everything is physically changed? Newton may have been wonky in some traits, and, and he was, but his love of revelation makes perfect sense. We believe in the life everlasting. In that eternity, triune God dwells with humanity physically. You see that? Physically. Now think about this. This is not, this is not God's Shekinah glory dwelling with one people as in the Hebrew tabernacle. This isn't even God the Son, Jesus, dwelling on earth. This isn't even just limited to the Holy Spirit indwelling believers in Jesus. This is something unique and new. This is the triune God dwelling with all his chosen ones. Isn't that wonderful? And by the way, this indicates, think, this indicates that sin must be removed in our physical resurrection. Otherwise, otherwise this is impossible. Remember, remember how 1 Corinthians described creature-perfect bodies being prepared for all Christians? Well, here's one reason those perfect bodies are needed. Without them, we could not physically dwell with perfect, holy God. 
Martin McDonald of our pulpit team shared a great thought on this uh, with me. He said, the reality of the gospel is that our bodies will be resurrected and then glorified, making them suitable for eternity with God. Thus, we will have a new heaven and new earth to live in, as well as new glorified, recognizable bodies in which to enjoy God and His new creation. All God's people said, Amen. Finally, sin and its effects are eliminated. Read verse 4 again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Hallelujah. This is also unimaginable to us, but it is true. Sin brought all those things into life. Death, grief, crying, pain. But God comforts those who are His. He, he wipes all tears away. And in the eternal state, God will absolutely destroy sin and its effects forever. Forever. That is staggering to consider. But if we'll think about it, it makes sense. Look, a physician friend of mine, he recently wrote about losing a patient. Very sad note. And he said, he said this, death is the arch enemy. We know it's going to take patience. It's going to take friends, but I never get used to it, close quote. Now, if anyone should be accustomed to death, it's a family doctor, but he's right. No one ever gets used to death and sorrow, which speaks to something very important. We are not made for this. We, we can tell deep down that this era, when, when sin is active, this is not our home. This is not the end for us. A long, long time ago, a very bright African preacher, a guy named Augustine, he wrote about this. He, he, he said the progression of sin from Genesis through to Revelation can be summarized this way. This is absolutely brilliant. Look what he said. In original creation, humans possessed the ability, Adam and Eve had the ability to sin or not to sin. And he summarized this in wonderfully uh, pithy Latin, posse pecare, posse non pecare. After the fall, after Adam sinned, humans are not able not to sin. And that's true. Non posse, non peccare. It's not possible not to sin. After trusting God's provision of salvation, Christians are able not to sin. It's true. We don't have to sin. Posse, non peccare. And in the life everlasting, what we're talking about here, humans are unable to sin. Non posse peccare. The reason that we can't get used to sin and death, even after trusting Jesus, the reason we can't get used to it is because this is not where we are meant to live. And if you are in Christ, you're not going to stay there. You are guaranteed an eternity where death and grief and crying and pain are no more because there is no possibility of sin. This is what our forebears were trying to summarize in these last two lines of the creed. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Jesus spoke directly to this. Um, he captured it actually in one sentence showing that he is the resurrection and the life. Turn back a few pages. You're still in John uh, 14. Go back a few pages to John 11. John 11, a few pages back to the west in your Bible. And uh, go to verse uh, 25. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Now, here's the context. Um, Jesus' friend Martha is weeping because her brother, a guy named Lazarus, has just died. Jesus also weeps 
Because even as he knows this sorrow is temporary and, and it won't last, even though he knows it's fleeting, Jesus weeps. He shares our pain. And through his weeping, Jesus speaks this truth. I am the resurrection and the life. Um, kids, it's time for a song. Time for a song. Uh, everybody, if you're sitting back, sit forward right now or stand up. I tell you, let's do that. Everybody stand up. Kids, stand up. All you older people too, stand up with them. You ready? Here's a song. We used to sing that verse that we just read. We used to sing it at camp and, and clap along. So we're going to do it right now. You ready? We'll, we'll start very slowly. You ready? Okay, stand up. Get ready. I am the resurrection and the life. Good. Clap, 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 clap. He who believes in me will never die. Clap. Clap, clap. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live a new life. Very good. Okay, you got it? Okay, let's, let's, let's do it at a, at a more normal speed. Okay, you ready? All right, here we go. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Clap, clap, clap. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live a new life. Very good. Okay, you, you've, you, got, you think you can go very fast now, huh? You think you can go quickly? Can you go faster than pastor? See, I don't, I don't believe you can. All right, you, you ready? Come on, I'm taking you on. All right, you ready? Here we go. As fast as you can do it. Ready? And let's see if you can beat me. I am the resurrection. We'll live a new life. That was, man, you're slow. Okay, I'm calm down. I'm just playing with you, okay? You'll be fine. All right, <laughs> competitive. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Let's do it really quickly. Ready? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live a new life. Give yourselves a hand. That's very nice. Great job. Now take a seat. Take a seat. Take a load off your feet. Whoop. Go ahead. Calm down. Take a seat. Let's close with the next two verses. Okay, we, let's read verse 25 again to get the rhythm, and then we'll read 26 and 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. He goes on, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Because Martha believes in Jesus, you, you know what the Scripture says. She is placed in Him. His resurrection will make certain that she will experience life, eternal life in a perfect resurrected body. You know, when people read John 11, they tend to focus on what happens a little after this when Jesus raises uh, Martha's brother Lazarus from the dead. And that's, that's awesome. But I would submit to you that this is the most important part of this chapter. Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. If you trust him, you receive resurrection and life everlasting. That's what we believe because it's true. Pray with me, please. Let's pray together. Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I pray for anyone who is studying with me that has never believed on Jesus, that they will trust him right now. It's simple but profound. It is by faith that we are saved. Jesus died on the cross, giving up his life because he loves you. 
and he rose from the dead because he is the resurrection and the life. However long you have lived, you have worked very hard, like everyone does, to try to find the way. The way is a person, Jesus. Trust him right now. There's nothing complicated to it. Confess that you need and trust Jesus as your Savior. And Father, I pray with all my brothers and sisters who are rejoicing even as we are aching right now. We've, we feel the world is broken. We feel this effect of sin. We feel shadows deepening. We, we long, along with creation groaning, we long for everything to be new. We long for you dwelling with us in a whole new and unique way. And in that longing, we praise you that you have provided you have made that possible for us. And we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.